1: In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust, and I will not be afraid. Hear prayer, O Lord, let and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day. For
0: the Lord is the great God, and the great King above all. Rise Lord. up, O judge of the earth. Render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? Righteousness and justice are the foundation of His I soul. hate the work of those who follow With my
1: mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations.
0: I will defy tyrants. I will defy
1: tyrants. I will defy tyrants. And with that, good morning, America. Welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTUV, WXYZ people, all the broke rockers who are in the house, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio. Where we use the Bible and the Constitution, not to see who's on the right or left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tom Brown, coming to you live from the U.S.-occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. And for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns you about I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us this morning. And if you would like to check us out online, please do so, SonsOfLibertyRadio.com and also com. In fact, if you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio and you want to watch the video portion of the radio show, that's right, you can see the face that's made for radio, head over to com. scroll down on the right side of the page, second video down, and uh, we are pre-recording. I'm saying we're live just because I'm used to that. We're pre-recording, and when I start talking about pre-recording, I mess everything up. So you'll see now it's the show we had the other day. Uh, just click on the play button there. Um, and that should blow it up on your device, and then click on the Rumble that's in the lower right-hand corner. Join us in the chat. Lots of friends in there every morning, and it's always good to see you guys on in the chat. Uh, great support and great morale. I got to tell you, uh, you know, we're doing it together, and um, God's never used the majority, has He? He always uses the minority so that He shows His power strong through us. And uh, so, join us in there. And then, right above that is Bradley Show from the previous day. You can click on that, and that will go up until three o'clock. Eastern, and at that time he'll be live in that little area on Sons of liberty Media.com. Be sure to sign up for our newsletter. That's right above that. Again, that we don't eat, uh, rent your email, sell it, or spam it. And one email from us a day, including the morning show archive. So you'll get it in video and podcast and anything we talk about, any of the links and stuff we're going to talk about today. Finally, if you agree with our message and you'd like to help support us, there's a donate button at the top of SonsOfLibertyMedia dot Click on that and make a one-time donation, or you can partner with us monthly as a son or daughter of Liberty. Uh, that link is also on there. And then our stores available. And I will have tomorrow, I will have whatever the special is, because I don't have that just yet. That doesn't come out to tomorrow. We're recording on Friday here. But uh, but once again, we're, we've got with us. Uh, I, I feel like a, a newfound friend and a brother in the Lord and a similar mindset, I mean, we may have a little bit of doctrinal differences. We're not going to focus on that right now. But where the gospel is concerned, everything I've heard come out of his mouth is bears witness with what the Scripture says. It points to the Lord Jesus. It calls men from sin, not just to escape the wrath of God in the future, but to overcome our own sin here and now, because that's the grace that God gives us by the power of his Spirit. And uh, we were talking after the show uh, the other week, and he mentioned taxation and you guys know when it comes to the bankers when it comes to the taxation when it comes to the money issue these are things i've been learning over the course of several years too so i'm not i don't i'm not a know-it-all but i got enough grasp to where i'm like okay there this whole thing is immoral and i said well why don't we have a talk about taxation this affects everybody across the political spectrum this affects you and so to help me do that is Pastor Kerry Gordon. He's back with us from com, And uh, Pastor Kerry, it's great to have you back with us this
0: morning. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be with you again. I look yeah. forward to the discussion.
1: Yeah, I do too. And I, you know, I got to tell you, there's a little, if I can say, there's a little jealousy. You got a great... Beard going on there, and I need to <laughs> learn how to fix mine. But it's got to grow out a little more before I can do that.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, I just completely shaved this morning, but that's how fast it grows. <laughs> right? Yeah, we were talking about how
1: cold it is there where you are in Iowa. It's the same thing here in the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina. We got snow and ice over the weekend. We're expecting it today. It may even be falling now. I don't know, uh, but we're expecting some more of that. And I like seeing the snow and all, but and I like the cold as long as I'm out of it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. <clears throat> I told people, and I think I mentioned this with you, um, I, there there's some homeschoolers who made this film right here, The Widow's Mind. I had to go dig it out about 30 minutes ago. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's I have. It's, it's, I was actually surprised. My wife got it. She said, oh, these homeschoolers did this. And I thought, okay, well, I'm not really <laughs> expecting a lot. I mean, maybe that's just me. They wrote their own songs. They put the whole screenplay together. You can see the one kid in there. He's got kind of the Freddie Prince look or something. Um, But they did this, and this was several years ago. Now, we invited our church over. We played the film, um, and I'll I'll put this up so people can see that you can can get this on Amazon. You can watch it on Amazon uh, called The Widow's Might. But we played it on the back of our house through a projector and the computer, and it's on— the subject of property taxes here. This is just the property tax issue, and they're pushing that on this widow. And they're going to take her house. Uh, they they say, "Oh, you owe all these taxes." They're going to take her house. They're going to put a a highway through it. And the point is is it's for the benefit of basically fascists and government and their corporate you know buddies that they're dealing with. So they can put this this highway through and they can set up all these shopping centers and all this other stuff. Um, very Marxist to his core, which is a lot of what I see with things as far as how the money situation goes here. So let's kick this off. What does the Bible, where is the place you would go to first address an issue of taxation if you were going to the Bible? Would you start back where the people wanted a king and they wanted to bring in Saul, or would you go somewhere else?
0: Well, There's a lot of places that we could go to establish very clearly what God's law says about taxation. And yes, the issue of Israel being in rebellion and kind of pushing their way, it's not that God didn't want them to have a king. You can see he had planned for them to have a king, but they wanted the wrong king at the wrong time. They needed to have a king, but they needed to wait for God to do what he wanted to do through his prophets, but the people pushed with their democratic thinking and got out ahead of God and got the wrong king at the wrong time. And that was Saul, and he caused problems. But I think that for, for modern people, I think the first place I like to go is to talk about roles, jurisdictions. What's the purpose of the church? What's the purpose of the civil government? Think of the church as the church government, the ecclesiology of God's kingdom. If you uh, begin to look at the church correctly, the way that I see it, I think that a church is uh, an embassy. And it's filled with the people who are called to be ambassadors of a kingdom that has laws. And so the local church is really an embassy outpost stationed strategically by the will of the Holy Spirit in a particular nation or in a particular county, in our case. And they're here to represent God's kingdom, the highest laws to this fallen world. And that's why we have to preach repentance and we use the law to do it. The law is the schoolmaster that leads people to Christ. Amen. So the role of the church is the role of reconciliation. That's our primary objective. That's the grace we're given is to focus on the issue of reconciliation. And why is it important to say that? Well, because that's not the role of the civil government. The Bible gives the civil authority a specific role. Their role, Romans chapter 13, is retribution. So they bear a sword. They're there to punish evil and reward good, and they have weapons to do it. They're there for retribution. The church is here for reconciliation. What the socialists do is they get into the church and they say, Jesus loves people and we care about people. We wanna help the poor, we wanna help the needy. So let's let's encourage the government to tax the snot out of everybody and redistribute the wealth to all these people that we really care about. Here's the problem, now you're telling the civil authority to get into the business of reconciliation. That's not what their grace to do. That's not their authority. That's the, the church is able to do that, not the government. So they convert the government into the duties of the church. And this is a perversion. That's why fundamentally at the very beginning, you know, socialism is incompatible with Christian thinking and with the role of the church in the world. Because socialism is the government trying to do the business of the church. It's the government trying to care about the poor, the government trying to worry about widows. And so the next place that I like to go is, in fact, I'll grab my Bible. We'll turn there if I have time. I don't know. You need to say
1: something. You jump in.
0: You go ahead and we
1: have to go over. We'll go over. You go ahead.
0: All right. So the next place I'll go. uh, Let's go to. uh, Let's see. See, I marked it here. 1 Timothy, first Timothy chapter five, verse three. Here's the instructions from this epistle. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. Yep. And let's just pause right there. The implication is some people don't really have a need. So you have to distinguish who really needs something, and then I'll just skip down. And and, and this is proof that the Bible is incompatible with Marxist thinking or socialist thinking. Because look at the criteria. Verse 9, no widow, no widow may be put on the list of widows unless she's over 60 years old, has been faithful to her husband, is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children and showing hospitality and washing the feet of the saints, helping others in need who have trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. And then ask for younger widows, this is verse 11, do not put them on such a list. Now, what list? The list of financial assistance, the benevolent list, the list where we care for the poor and the needy among us. So the church is given the authority of the ministry of reconciliation, we're to take synergy among our members, understanding that compassion only comes from individual humans created in the image of God. We pull ourselves together. Compassion and love that's been shed abroad inside our heart flows out of us. We pull our resources together. And then there's a limited number of people who are worthy of charitable support with their groceries and house payments or other things and first they have to be a widow secondly they have to be over 60 thirdly they have to be living an upstanding moral life and have a track record of living out faithful christian um activities in their life and young widows are just forbidden from being on the list so there is nothing here that is remotely similar to the kind of uh Thinking of Marxism or socialism, where we're all supposedly equal and everybody deserves free this and everybody deserves free that. The Bible is not compatible with that thinking. So, yes, there is some bit of collective synergy authorized by the scripture, but only to come from the authority of the church who has the grace for reconciliation. And that is how we are to meet the needs of society. the church that God put in every nation of the world to help the poor and to help the widows but you have to qualify for the help and if you don't qualify you don't get help and um, that's the way it goes it sounds cold but actually it's a blessing because it requires people to get up and be industrious and to work hard and be faithful and live honorably you have to incentivize living honorably being faithful working hard and what socialism does is it's the government doing the church's job bad, and they're incentivizing not working, not being faithful, not being honorable, and they just give they it's, it's a disaster. So no, socialism is incompatible with the scriptures.
1: Yeah, it is, and you know there's there's parts that go on because you you, you were going down to the young women, and he was basically saying you get married you know you love your husband you raise children you don't be busybodies in everybody else's business which sometimes right. happens when when women are left to themselves and I'm not picking on women it just it happens it's just a yeah. it's a natural thing that they they run to in doing that and then he says uh, he goes on down and he talks about, <clears throat> if a man or woman that believeth have widows, so he doesn't say, if the government has widows in it under its authority, uh, it says, if a man or woman that believeth have widows, let them relieve them, and let not the church be charged, that it may relieve them that are widows indeed. So it's not just because maybe they are even qualified that they have to go on to that. If you've got sons, um, you know, we talk about, honoring. And he talks about that with elders. He goes on, if I can add this, uh, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and thy laborer is worthy of his reward. Now, I don't think, (laughs) correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think God had in mind the ox when Paul applied this here. He's got in mind the, the, the men of God. And I... I had a guy one time he says, "Well, do you think that a man who's who's a, who's the pastor of a church ought to be making more than the people who's in it?" And I said, "Well, it depends on the man." I said if he's a if he's just if it's him and his wife and he's got a child or two, I said he can probably live on less than somebody like, I don't know, like me. I, me and my wife, we have 10 kids. You, you you've got to balance that out and everybody's going to be different. But I said if you're sitting here with $300,000 in the bank, your your church building's paid for, Everybody's taken care of there, and you're you're cheating your your pastor by saying we're going to give you fifteen thousand dollars to live on or twenty thousand dollars live on in this day and age, and it's him and his wife, and they're they're taking the care of another kid. I said, then you're cheating him, and I said God's going to hold you accountable for that stuff. You you can't do that. You you're 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 muzzling the ox when you do that. Yeah. So. And, and then Paul goes on and he says this about the widows. What does he say? If you don't take care of your widows, you're what? Worse than an unbeliever and you've denied the faith. That's a pretty big thing tying with what you're saying there.
0: Well, exactly. And the reason why I, I begin there is because once you resolve what is the jurisdiction and the purpose of the church in society authorized by God, and what is the jurisdiction and purpose of the civil government, so you, you distinguish the difference. now you've just removed the excuse that is used by civil authority to tax you to oblivion because the reason they want to tax you to oblivion is because they're taking on the role that does not belong to them. And, you know, basically stealing money from everybody uh, uh, all over town to inefficiently, um, you know, send it to somebody in need, allegedly somewhere else. It's a disaster. And I, I I like to also say it like this, you know, the scripture says thou shalt not steal. And we know that. So if I put on a a, a dark suit and put a mask over my eyes tonight, I take a, you know, a a crowbar and I go to my neighbor's house, pry the door open, sneak down in their basement, get their safe popped open, steal all their gold they've been saving up because of inflation. Uh, I would get arrested and the government who is given the grace of retribution would come arrest me and take me to jail because that's illegal. You can't do that. But what we figured out in our republic is you can avoid jail and still steal all your neighbor's stuff in the night. But instead of using a crowbar to pry into their door at night and into their safe, you can use a ballot and use that ballot when you vote. To And then you convert the ministry of retribution, which is the government who's supposed to punish the thief. You convert the government into the thief. That's right. And the government goes and steals your neighbor's stuff and then supposedly redistributes it back over to you. And that's how socialists think. So they're thieves. Socialism is antithetical with all biblical law because socialism is ultimately theft by armed thugs and they will take stuff that does not belong to them. And so then the question is, all right, how does the church raise money to do its mission of reconciliation? And how does the civil authority raise money to do their job? of retribution. I want to have a good military because that's actually a role that the government has. The government is supposed to protect uh, our freedom and liberty. That's what they're there for. They don't bear a sword in vain. So I want them to have good swords. I want them to have sharp swords. They got to be able to pay for those swords so they're going to have to tax us. So now we begin to ask the question, well, what's a, a just and proper tax system out of biblical law? What's the What's the best way to do it? You can go right to Jesus and look at, well, how did he look at this little widow who came up and gave her mite? And Jesus didn't really focus on the amount she gave. In fact, he juxtaposed the amount she gave in terms of value versus something we call percentage. And he makes this point. He says, look, this woman, this woman who doesn't have hardly anything, came up and put in what's the equivalent, maybe half of one penny. And he says to the whole group publicly, she gave more than everyone. And they're thinking, how could that be? She only gave one half of one penny, and one guy probably thought, "Hey, I put the you know forty bucks in there." Jesus said, "Because she gave all she had, she gave a hundred percent."
1: Her heart. So was this gift
0: it. is the key. Yeah, and that's right. And and so how does God look at taxation, or how does God look at giving in terms of the church? It's about percentage. Now that this this was not a shock necessarily because guess what? Old Testament law, um, the Hebrews tax their people with a flat tax. And it was based on a percentage at a 10%. And that's what we call the tithe. And I believe in tithing. And I think in our ecclesiology, we're a church, we're an embassy uh, filled with ambassadors. We're here to represent kingdom laws as a, as a bare minimum in the new covenant. Uh, as a starting point of expressing your faith, church people ought to give 10% of their gross or, you know, I think gross 10% of their income to the local church. So that the church can do its ministry of reconciliation Well, what's left over for the government after that. So I believe that any government that taxes its people equal to 10% or more is mathematically attempting to replace God and yep. usurp his authority. They believe they're equal or greater to, than God. And that's a socialist tendency that must be stopped. So the way you determine taxes, first of all, should be flat, fair. Everybody pays the same percentage. And after the church gets its 10%, then what's left over for the government? Your tax rate should be flat. It should be less than 10% for the government. And we want both to flourish. We want good government. We want them to have what they need to do their biblically defined role that God has authorized them to do. That's retribution. I want a great military. I want good police. I like the fire department uh, and, and we need good infrastructure. I think bridges and roads are fine. After that, I want the smallest possible government you can possibly imagine because those little tyrants want to be God and take over the world. And most of the money belongs to God and belongs to the church. Then the church could do its job correctly, incentivize morality and goodness and reward people who deserve it with programs that help widows and people that are in need. That's the way that God designed the world to work. And that's not what we're doing. And that's why we have a disastrous mess. We're printing money like wild pirates. We're crazy. And we're not thinking about the future of our children. We're leaving, we're leaving a preposterous debt to the next generation. It's the opposite of the preambles to the Constitution. Uh, the founding fathers were generational thinkers. They said, uh, we do this. For, for ourselves and our posterity, and today Americans are doing this against the better interest of ourselves and our posterity. Right. It's terrible. Yeah. So there's my spiel. What do you think? <laughs> well, you know, I've
1: heard the flat tax argument and things, and I, I don't I don't know that I want to have an argument over that. Mine is looking more towards. I don't see the government has a. a, a they, they say they have a right to the fruit of our labor. And we're seeing that in a, in a number of ways, uh, whether it's the income tax, which our founding fathers, I think, they would have rolled over in their graves over an income tax. And Absolutely if you, true. If you actually look at what is defined as income by the Supreme Court, it wouldn't even apply to ninety percent of the people in America. I mean, there's only mm-hmm. a few people that income actually applies to. If you're just trading your time for money, um, you're not making a profit, so there's no income. That's what that. That's what that sure. amounts to. But One of the things that I do see is exactly what you're saying, and that is the support of the local church. And again, boy, you've got to – there's so much you have to fight through now because what you guys produce with enemies within the church, you've got churches who are not going to do – they're there to glorify themselves. They're there to build up the buildings and look like they are – what the church of Laodicea, you think you're rich and have need of nothing – and instead of saying you know we 're poor and needy, and we 're going to go and help the poor and needy, and we 're going to gather together, and that money, that tithe that 's given that cheerful giving, giving that 's given by the people are to be used for ministry we wouldn't even be talking right. about welfare programs in the state if the church did its job here in america
0: exactly. so
1: i think you're I think we are totally in agreement on there. We may have some discussion about how
0: we do taxation, but let, what do you, let, you think about a consumption tax done at a flat rate? How do you feel about that?
1: I've heard the consumption. It, it makes sense. Here's the problem I have with any of that stuff is that you turn the business owner into an agent of the state to collect the taxes. That's one thing. And it reminds me of the whole publican mentality, uh, you know, and they were notorious for skimming off the top, too. Uh, and they're going right. to get paid something back, too, from the state. And I I don't know that. There's, there's some things I haven't really worked out with with some of that, but I, I think the consumption tax at least deals with people who are buying a product and they get it. Here's what I would say. Um, going back to our founding fathers, when we talk about the military, they didn't want a standing military. They right. In fact, they said the, the real law enforcers and such are your uh, citizen militia, not a federalized National Guard, but a citizen militia. Right. And so a lot of that relies back on, the reason we have the right to keep and bear arms is because we have a duty to ourselves, right. our family, and our neighbors to secure a free state. So I think the the, the Christian men have abandoned their duty as militiamen, or we used to call them Minutemen. Yeah. And yes. I think if we did that, we could eliminate a lot of cost, and it keeps us from putting our trust in horses and chariots, right? And the Bible warns us exactly. about that, too. So, but let's go to, let's go to over here to 1 Samuel chapter 8, and let me, let me have you comment a little bit on this because this is sort of what I see Saul doing. He's building up all this stuff, or this is what he's Mm -hmm. saying, and you're right. God told them in the book of Deuteronomy, they would have a king. He says, when you have a king, he's going to write out a law for himself, he's going to know it, and all this kind of stuff. And then the people say, well, we want that king now. Like you say, they're asking out of turn, they're asking out of place, and they're doing it for ungodly reasons. And so, God says, Samuel, don't worry about it. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And then in First Samuel chapter 8, he says, um, And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken to the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them according to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them out of, the, out of Egypt even unto this day, wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, so that they also unto thee. Now, therefore, hearken unto their voice, howbeit yet protest uh, solemnly unto them and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. So he's going to tell them what kind of king you're going to get because you're asking uh, out of place here. And he said, this will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself, for his chariots and to be his horsemen. And some shall run before his chariots, and he will appoint him captains over thousands and captains over fifties and will set them to ear His ground and to reap his harvest and to make his instruments of war and instruments of his chariots. And he will take your daughters to be confectionaries and to be cooks and to be bakers. And he will take your fields and your vineyards and your olive yards, even the best of them, and give them to his servants. And he will take the tenth of your seed. That's a lot of what they were tithing anyway, because Jesus addressed that with the Pharisees. He said, That's a good thing, but you should be doing something else too. And of yes. your vineyards, and give to his officers and to his servants, and he will take your men servants and your maid servants and your goodliest young men and your asses and put them to his work, and he will take a tenth of your sheep, and ye shall be his servants. And then he says, you're going to cry out and say, oh boy, I wish we wouldn't have done this. Can you give us a different guy? Uh, so yep. I, I Vote don't... Vote for the tall
0: guy. Vote for the tall guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: I don't... I, I, I see... When taxation comes in in this form, and there is taxes here, there's no question about it, yeah. I don't see it as a good thing at all. In fact, when we were making mention of the military, um, our Constitution allows for a military to exist for two years, and then you have to re-up it. And that's why they keep doing this NDAA to keep it in place, and we all know— for decades our military has been used not for the defense of the people, but for the right. the advancement of corporations, for the advancement of yeah. of, of all of this yeah. kind of stuff to, to put wealth in, in people's pockets at the expense of our sons and daughters. And I gotta tell you, Carrie, and I'll let you address this right here. I've sure. told my boys, I said, I think the draft is immoral. It is unconstitutional, and I said, if they go to draft my boys, they're not going to draft me because I'm I'm too old for it, but if they go to – I said, we'll fight the tyrants here rather than send you over to be cannon fodder for some corporation to make money off of. We'll fight the tyrants here. We'll deal with the tyrants here, and uh, I've been told I'm unpatriotic for that, but the the Constitution is pretty clear that they can't put you into servitude, and that's exactly what a draft does.
0: Yeah, you're exactly right. I don't know. I guess it's because I have three daughters, but, um, there's probably nothing that has made me angrier in the last 20 years of political involvement than the Republican party signing off on the concept, not only of a draft, which I completely agree is fundamentally wrong for anyone at all, but the idea of drafting women yes. into combat, yeah, shame there's on nothing them. that makes me angrier. Fire shoots out of my nose. I had, you know, my, my representative, I'm actively looking to get him primaried here because he signed off on that stupid bill that they came up with just a couple of months ago. I rebuked him from the pulpit and uh, these people are fools. I mean, they they have no idea what they're doing. Can you even imagine? I mean, my daughter can't even open a pickle jar. She's going to go out and fight in a field with a (laughs) rifle and roll around with men. How stupid can we be? And they're never taking my daughters, never. Never, uh, or my sons, but much less my daughters. Yeah, and it, it is wicked. Of course, this is, I think, the big contrast between what you're saying about the founding era and their understanding of the military is they, they thought decentralized. Everything they did, the fabric of the revolution was the importance of decentralized authority. And it was so different from anything in the world um, England looked at us and thought we were just going to end up imploding and killing ourselves. And there's no way you could have a government without a king. These people have lost their minds that maybe they've caught some fever over there in the new world. They, they, they couldn't even conceive of the possibility of decentralized control, uh, we the people, anything like that, because they, they had been so paralyzed by the divine right of king's teaching from the church in England. They could only see top down. And I would like to say this, I mean, this maybe this is getting too deep, but, you know, our decentralized form of government, which is what we were supposed to be, and uh, the states were viewed, in most of the people of the United States, as being far more important than the federal government during that era. And it was almost more noble to become the governor of a state than to become, you know, the president of the United States. Well, that's not as important. I mean, they did not view the world... Top down like we do now, they were very decentralized um, and so that affected their view of taxes that affected their view of uh, you know how big the government should be, but everything's top down now and um oh, I'm trying to how was I going to say this um, I'll just let you talk for a minute <laughs> okay and
1: we'll come back. all right well here's the thing when you think about the founding area you, you know we we do see that there were tax protests I mean my goodness for what? Penny or two on your tea. They're going out there not and tea dumping parties. tea. Yeah, they're dumping the tea. In. They weren't sitting around just having a protest with some signs. They went and said, "You're not even going to sell your tea." Ha! Take that. Um, this is this is part of the thing that, that gets me because what they had established. It seems to me when you go back in history, one they that when corporations. Came into being, they were only in existence for so many years, and then they had to be re- reevaluated to whether or not they were good for the country or bad for the country. We don't do that anymore. That's one thing. The second thing is, is they use the tariffs to basically fund government. Now, I understand that that's going to trickle down. I get it that the the consumer is the one who's going to end up paying it ultimately. But to me. If you keep that steady enough to fund government and you have people who ha- who really have a small government mindset, which are few and far between in D.C. to find, um, then you can fund that government. You can do what you need to do with it. But what we've done is like what you said, we've lost sight of what D.C. was intended to be or the st- even the state governments. My goodness, they're suckers for the the, the D.C. money, too. Um, and that's how they get them to do all the things. They put all these strings on them. If you're going to do this, then you have to do that, and we'll give you the money. And I think that's that's the corruption that we're in that's really going to take a, a stand of the people, Holy Ghost-filled yeah. people, to stand yeah. and say, no, we're not having this anymore, and we're going to deal with you right now. Uh, in some cases, it's probably going to be a little, lot more severe than the others. But I think that's part of the problem. And so when I look at taxation, it looks like when it's first you know, introduced here— it doesn't look like a good thing at all to me, and that's that's where. And then, right. if you want to go ahead and speak, I want to ask you about property taxes because that one really gets under my,
0: yeah. Damn. Oh boy, I we'll <laughs> we'll be talking for a long time on that. But so the, the power to tax is ultimately the power to destroy. If it's unlimited, you cannot give any government unlimited power to tax because they they governments don't create wealth; they're just a giant leech. So everything that they take, they have to have a host. I mean, if you were a leech, you exist. You thrive by sucking blood off of something, whether it's the behind a dog's ear or a man's rear end or whatever. If you're a leech, you have got to suck blood or you're going to die. And a government is a gigantic parasite, economically speaking. So the power to tax is dangerous. Now, just imagine if a leech that's bigger than you latched onto your hind end. It will suck the blood out of you so fast it'll kill you. And that's what you're dealing with with unlimited power to tax. Governments become so big and so destructive that they destroy business, they destroy innovation, they destroy incentive. And that's exactly what Marxism proposes. So um, taxation is a very dangerous thing, and it is the power to destroy. So governments do need on some level to be funded, right? But It has to be very limited and very controlled, and it needs to be a very small amount. And there was a time when Americans understood that, but they don't anymore. And I think what I was going to say a moment ago uh, concerning, of course, there's the difference in mentality. Uh, The the founding era would not have viewed um, federal military um, anything like we do now. And some of this has to be connected ultimately to technology on some level. Despite all those very virtuous principles, we have technology now that we, we have to have. A, we have to have an army. I mean, North Korea would kill us the very next day if we didn't. Right? So, how do we do that? How do we do that in a biblical way? That's a difficult thing. But the, the decentralized thinking—we need it back. People need to be taught about the, the virtue of decentralization. It's biblical. The Bible has a lot to say about decentralized things.
1: Kerry, can, can you elaborate on that for people who don't understand what decentralization is?
0: Well, oh, sure. Uh, I can make better decisions about what should be done on Paxton Street, which is just about you know, 25 yards from this office. I can look at that street and make better decisions about what ought to be done on Paxton Street to make the neighborhood better. I'll make that decision better than someone who's never been to Iowa, has no idea where Paxton Street is, never has to drive on it, and doesn't care that lives 1,500 miles away. If I have to wait for a central power to make my decisions for me, they have no connection, no understanding. They don't understand the weather here. They don't understand that where I live, you have to have a basement. It's code. But down in the South, in South Carolina, you do not have to have a basement. You can just build your house on a slab. And that's code. See, that's a decentralized decision that was made at the local level. Why? Well, because your weather in South Carolina is completely different than the weather where I live. Yep. If you build a house on a slab, everything's going to go wrong. So decentralized um, decision making is wise. The book of Proverbs mentions, I'm not going to say it exact, but it's better to work with a stranger who's close to you than to work with a brother who's far away. Yes. Yes. And that's talking about the practicality of we've got needs right here. They're unique to us, unique to our weather, unique to our culture. And and we're able to make good decisions. We've got incentive to make good decisions because after we do something with Paxton Street, after all, we have to drive on it, right? So that's what decentralized thinking is, bottom up as opposed to top down. And I don't want Washington, D.C. making decisions about how my children are educated. I don't want I don't live in Washington, D.C. I live in Iowa, right? I don't want New York or Fauci making decisions about what we need to be doing to protect our health over here in the Midwest where you might not see a house for 25 miles because there's cornfields everywhere. We're not jammed on a subway with you know 10,000 people every five minutes moving under a street crowded and, and, and crammed together in close quarters. So the way that we deal with a p- potential pandemic outbreak where I live, where there are no subways would be completely different than some kind of silly mask mandate. You know, we wouldn't need that where I live. It's beautiful, good, clean air. And and you can walk for miles and not see one person. It's wonderful. I don't want New York values pushed on me in Sioux City, Iowa. I make better decisions in Sioux City for myself. That's decentralized activism. And so what I wanted to say is when God redeemed the Hebrews from Pharaoh, they only knew one kind of government centralized, top-down, fascist, mean-spirited bullies. That's all they knew. They were slaves. And that's not what God wanted for them. But in order for them to come from a slave mentality where government is God and it is a tyrant, right? They had to come from 400 years of nothing but top-down, centralized authority. And God's like, I wanna make a nation out of these people, but they think completely wrong. I have to get them to transition from top down authority that's tyrannical and, and man is a law unto himself and crazy and government is God. I need to get them from that to the ideal biblical government, which is actually monarchy, whereas a uh, godly constitutional monarch, a king, when Jesus comes back, he's coming back as a king, not as a president. He's not coming back as an elected son of God. He's coming back as the absolute authority. But he rules according to his own law and according to his own word. He's a constitutional monarch, and so you know you look at how's God going to transition these people the slave mentality from you know fascist top down dictatorial tyranny to a king, which is also top down authority. Well, the way that he found to do it is he had to break them free of their bad thinking and from the slave mentality, and he he put um, um, a breaker in there called decentralized democratic republic where you elect representatives exodus 1821 jethro says to moses you're doing this you can't do this you can't become another pharaoh you need to select men who are you know they're they fear god they're able to do the job they're not moved by dirty money and they tell the truth that's the bare plumb line minimum find those men choose you out captains of 10 50, 100, 1,000, 10,000, whatever. Every level of government needs good moral men and then delegate the authority and let them make decentralized decisions and not trouble you with all their problems. When they can't resolve something, let them appeal and come up to your high authority. And uh, then of course, there's the uh, ecclesiastical authority of the priesthood and they had a different setup than we do it was far superior frankly but uh, that's where we get our ideas of decentralized republican representative government is from how moses had to transition with help from the holy spirit through his father-in-law jethro he had to transition himself from being you know the son the prince of egypt into thinking a different way and and the holy spirit helped moses discover the principles of decentralized thinking and those slave people needed to get that they had to change the way that they viewed the world and take responsibility for themselves and make small decisions in smaller groups and then appeal to a federation of limited federation of authority above them and so god specifically and on purpose used a republic as a transitional tool of education so that israel could eventually get a proper constitutional monarch that was his goal for them he had always planned for that i believe god had always in his providence designed for david to be the first constitutional monarch in their history but israel got in a rush and they wanted to do it their own way and humanism set in and they wanted to do things how they we want to be like all the other nations so they got the wrong guy saul because he's tall he's a tall guy well, picking someone because they're tall doesn't meet the requirements of Exodus eighteen twenty-one, but they picked him because he was taller than everybody and, and he looks good. And, uh, and they picked the wrong guy for the wrong reason at the wrong time. And I think that that set a trajectory of pain and suffering that was avoidable for poor David. I think David ended up messed up with Bathsheba because his nation was rebellious and wouldn't listen to the prophet. So Anytime we get out ahead of God, there's consequences. And David had to suffer a lot of consequences. He had a hard life. Even as a king, he had a terribly hard life. And um, some of that would have been avoided. But anyway, that's my spiel. So somewhere between you know, Pharaoh and then the in-between of a constitutional uh, republic, eventually, I, what does God want us to do? He wants us to be ready for the return of our king. And we're not going to be voting when Jesus gets back.
1: Yeah. You know, and I point people to 1 Corinthians 15 because I'm not even necessarily waiting for him to get back. He is king now. Now, Paul says that he he is. I mean, he is. (laughs) Yeah, he's ruling and reigning from heaven. He's subduing all of his enemies now. And he's been doing it yes. since the first century. And even Revelation, I believe it's in chapter three, it says that he's going to he's going to sit us on his throne with him to rule with a rod of iron just as he his father gave him. So he's not yeah. waiting to rule with a rod of iron. He's doing it now. People just don't exactly. they don't realize that. But and that's
0: part of our mission is to warn everybody. Right. There is a king. He does have a law yep. and you're in trouble. You've committed crimes. You've got to repent.
1: Yeah, and that's where I, I was gonna. I was gonna say we're gonna take and move into that realm as to why this this issue even of taxation and all of these things come under the 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 crown rights of King Jesus, who's supposed to tell us, and we're supposed to be obedient to what he's laid out in the Scripture. And when Absolutely. we again, when we look back, you know, at the founding area, I, I think there was a level of them looking back, and and I believe the government that was established a republican form of government. Is really based off of what Presbyterianism was. You start at the local church, then you go out and you get more and you get more. And you have this, uh, a lot of representatives uh, when you go up top. It's not like the papacy where you got one guy at the top and it comes down. You're going the other way. And one of the things they have, and I don't know if you've heard of it, but I thought, boy, if I was a lot younger, I would really want to push this. The original First Amendment, and you probably Mm -hmm. have read about that, where their idea was to have a representative for every 50,000 people. Now we have them for every three-quarters of a million to a million people. And you imagine, Mm. overnight, you could break the lobbyists that come into D.C. because you would go from roughly 500 representatives to around 6,500 to 7,000 representatives. You could run run for office on a shoestring budget. And we just say, look, there's no need for you to go to D.C. You just stay here at home and that way the closer to home just like what you said we can keep an eye on you and we're going to be at your front door if you're getting out of line you're doing things you're not supposed to do i think that's a that's a really big deal but let me let me ask you this and look well let me ask you what do you think about that kind of deal
0: well i think it sounds fascinating i think you probably um you know i read after dabney i don't know Yep, that's probably not very popular but i love i like Dabney. yeah i like the old dabney writings and i you know i mean he in his uh, Women's Rights Women yep. article, which is astoundingly prophetic. Yep. And he essentially said, I think it was that article. It's been a long time since I read it. But uh, he essentially said that uh, America signed and sealed and delivered their own doom uh, on a particular day. And I can't remember the exact year. I'll just make it up and say that it was <laughs> uh, um, 1885 or something like that. And uh, it it was uh, probably something earlier than that. But he said that America ended on the day that they passed the first law. I believe it was in the state of Virginia that uh, someone could vote. A white man was allowed to vote who did not own physical property. And then he uses theology to connect the dots and say, this is why this will. Because that happened. Men are going to end up dressing like women. Women will end up dressing like men. uh, Men will marry other men. Women will marry other women. And you might as well give a ballot to a donkey. And that was all based on the idea, uh, how preposterous it was in his mind that you would allow someone to vote that does not own property. Of course, that's thoroughly biblical, the reason why he felt that way. And he was absolutely right, wasn't he? So he was. How important is property? Oh, my goodness, is property important.
1: Yeah, we took, uh, when I was at Nicene Council, we actually took his... um, a uh, little statement on women's suffrage. And we, we said, look, you can interject this with all kinds of things. And uh, my friend Jerry Johnson at the time, he interjected the issue of sodomite marriage. And he said, yeah. and he just brought it down. And he said, basically, I forget how the wording was, but basically at the end, he says the Republican Party will give in and give in and give in and give in. Yeah. And he says, finally, they will end up supporting bestiality. And that's the, yes. that's the heel they're going to stand on because man progressively – Corrupts himself once he yeah. gets off the straight and narrow, as it were. Now, let me That's ask you this, true. and I think those are good words that you brought out about Dabney. Some people, you know, the guy has obviously some tendencies I wish he didn't have, uh, he and I think an some of it is
0: sense of humor. Yeah, he had an exquisite sense of humor. Yeah, but but
1: I mean, I mean, I think on some of the the issues uh, regarding some of the blacks in the South and stuff like that, but. The point is, is this? He's got a lot of wisdom that was given in there. I've men- made mention so many times of that little book he had, or that's been pulled out, called "On Secular Education," and it's like, it's like he was seeing it, but he's not, he's not a prophet in the sense of how the prophets were in the scripture. But he could see logically what was going to progress. And I remember exactly. reading that, going, "Dude, you're looking at what we're we're at right now." Um, well, let me yeah, ask you yeah. this: and the people that Go ahead. read
0: after him. When he published that article at that time, you know, they, they laughed it off and thought that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Men are going to dress like women. I mean, they didn't realize he was really he was nailing it, that it was really oh, going to yeah. happen. It just seemed like, you know, that's crazy talk. That's like beam me up, Scotty. That was just never going to happen. That's fiction. Well, I right? think, yeah, or that I, he's just being a smart aleck. No, he was exactly spot on. Correct.
1: Yeah, I think what he sees is he sees the same thing with that as what went on in the garden. And the swapping yeah. of roles, the man's yes. supposed to lead the house. And I've often asked women, I, I, it's not to pick on women; it's just to say, does your dad not care about you? Why can't he vote for your whole family? Wouldn't he vote? Thank wouldn't you. Wouldn't you think he would vote for the best for you? What about your husband? Now, if a woman's on her own, there might be something that we might do differently there. But sure. but overall, the norm would be this is what you would do. Your your dad is because if you're letting men and women vote together. And you've got a man and his wife. They're just going to vote together. They don't to vote the same or you might get some. They're, they're canceling each other's out. I don't know. But, uh, you know, I, I, you,
0: you, you, you're touching on that and that that's exactly correct. And I've said the same thing. Uh, I would be I would be probably all right with uh, having a provision for women who own physical property and who are widowed or don't have a husband as the head of the house. I'd be fine with them voting. But you're exactly right. The man is the head of the house. That's. That's the the that's the structure of the family that as God made it. And so the man should represent his family when he goes in to vote and he should be the one voting. Why? Well, because he's the head of the house and because he owns property. And, you know, at the time Dabney wrote that it was just preposterous to think of that a woman would own property because like virtually no women own property anywhere. And he wasn't necessarily being racist and looking down on uh, black people at that time. But just the idea at that time that black people would own property, that was also just preposterous. And he was so focused on the importance of property ownership, so, so being able to say, I, even if it's you know, 12 inches by 12 inches, a man has to be able to stand in that little square and say, this is mine. I get to stand here. And because that's the foundation of freedom. And our Revolutionary War was fought, o- uh, was fought over the, the basic idea that men should have freedom. And that freedom was directly resting on their philosophy of private ownership. That was essential in the Revolutionary era, that, that man owns things. And uh, so property had to be tethered then. You have incentive and a, and a, a, a privilege to vote if you own property. As soon as that thing was done and we threw out property and our philosophy of representation, it really did unravel the nation.
1: Yeah, it, I, I agree. Uh, what I was going to say about the uh, the original th- uh, First Amendment is it's already been ratified by 11 states. All you need is 26, and it goes into effect. Just so people know, so if somebody wants to take up that project— like the kid did back Let's in the Clinton years, and want to put in the thing about, you know, Congress raising their pay, which they ignored that too, uh, please yeah. so let me know. I'll try to help with it. We'll bring you on the radio. You you know, do it. But all you got to do is get the state, states to ratify it, and immediately everything changes overnight. Overnight wow. it changes. You've got... All these representatives, the lobbyists are going to be pulling their hair out because they're going to go, okay, we can't control it. Like, uh, what was the guy's name, Jay, Jay uh, Abrams or Abramoff or whatever his name was, who said he had yeah. the, most of the Congress in his pocket? Kerry, can you hold on for us? We got about thirty seconds. Can can we go over just a little bit with this? I want to ask you about property taxes. You bet. All right, great, you bet. great. Well, I want to do that. And uh, and again, folks, this is what I'm coming off of. The widows' might again. It's an it's made by homeschoolers. I know you're thinking, oh, Tim, but have I have I steered you wrong on any of the films I told you about? No, I haven't steered you wrong, have I? This one is good. It's biblical because yeah. they will reference the Bible, and it requires that the people, the people. See, in our form of government, we, we're, we don't have a king up there. It says we the people are establishing this. So we the people yes. must enforce it. The words aren't going to enforce themselves. We must do that. Carrie, I want to let people know real quickly. Um, You have a website, and it is Enemies Within the Church. Guys, if you haven't seen this, you need to pick it up. Watch it online. I told Bradley he was going to watch it as well. Several people have watched it uh, from the show, from seeing you on the other week. And, uh, yeah, check that out. EnemiesWithinTheChurch.com. SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. Catch Bradley at 3. We'll see you in the morning at 6 a.m., Lord willing. Okay, all right. I want to welcome everybody coming over from Red State Talk Radio and uh, Carrie. It's uh, we get in these conversations, and there there really is uh, people don't people who don't have. I hear from people on the show in the uh, in the chat. I've met people. They they don't have churches where wow. the Bible's preached. That's one. And two, if they have one where the Bible's preached, I've heard people say. Boy, I don't have experiences like you have with your elders, Tim, the church we were at before. You know, we'd have a cookout. We'd gather together. Um, You know, we talk about theology, and we talk about what's going on in the society, and how does that go in there, what's a solution for this, and how should we be doing this with our family, and this, that, and the other. Same thing with the church I'm at here. My pastor's very much the same way. And they say, if you ask our pastors anything about anything, it's like you're challenging them, and they don't want to talk to you. I'm like, what? And, and these are men, I've heard of some of them, who preach well, but it's like, right. my goodness, if you, can't, if you can't be the master like Jesus was to his disciples and you can't teach your people one-on-one, your right. talk from the pulpit's worth squat. So what I want to ask you is, on this issue of property taxes— And one of the things that gets on my nerves so bad is every time they send me one of those things, and they say, well, we've evaluated your vehicle at this. We've evaluated your house is worth this. And so, therefore, you're going to owe us this amount of money. And I call them up, and every time I let them have it, I just say, this is immoral, it's unconstitutional, it's unbiblical, and you guys down there doing all this stuff, you need to repent. I mean, I just get frustrated at it. What is the issue behind personal property tax, because you just hit on it. You said if a man owns property, he's supposed to be free. But in America, it's like we're on the king's property and we're paying money. Even if we pay it off, we're still paying money to the king, so to speak, to to maintain our property or the king's going to come take our property.
0: This is the last great stand, as far as I know. This is the last place on planet Earth where it is possible for any person or institution to say, we own this land. There is no other nation I'm aware of in the entire world where you literally own land. But I think I'm gonna surprise some people when I tell you who it is that actually still declares ownership of the land because our nation has been really ransacked by these um, humanists. Uh, No one, as an individual American citizen, I'm sitting in my own house right now, this was built in 1890 by Civil War veterans, It's an old stone, cold stone mansion. It's about zero degrees outside that window right there. But I have to be honest, I do not literally own this. Now, we say I do, uh, paid for, got my name on the the sheet, but I'm going to tell you why I don't own my house, you don't own yours, and nobody in this country really owns their home. The reason why is because of income, or excuse me, property taxes. Because property taxes, When you say I own this, but I got to pay my property taxes, you know, they're playing with the meanings of words. And we've been conditioned to think that we own it, but we don't own it because you know what that's called. It's called renting. When you have to pay a tax for your property, that just means you're paying rent to the real owner of the land. Now, if you think about what renting is, let's say you go rent a car and you agree, I'm going to pay you this much. What happens if you stop paying them? They'll come find the car and they'll take it away from you and say, this isn't your car. You, you quit paying us. You can't have the car anymore, right? Well, that's what they do with your property. If you don't pay your property tax, let's say you're 85 years old. You can't work anymore. You, you lived in the same house. You paid your house off 50 years ago. It's yours. You own it, right? No, you don't. Because if you don't keep paying them their rent that they call property tax, they'll move you out of your house, take your whole property put it up for sale on the, on the tax sheet down in the county and let, let the, the bidders come in and take your property away from you and, and everything that you earn, everything that you own. So you, none of us own anything anymore. And I'm telling you that our founding fathers are spinning in their graves. So why do I say that America still has the last true property ownership that I think is left on the entire planet right now? but because there's one institution that still exists that cannot be taxed on their property. And that's the local church. And this to me is so essential. I am constantly lambasted by what I describe as neo-gnostic, anti-property Christians. And they say, we don't need churches. Church property is not important. We should just care about the people. Let me just tell you, I love you, but you're as ignorant as a box of rocks. You don't understand Fundamentals of freedom and liberty, and living in America, and what the Bible has to say about property. Of course, our king, who reigns and owns this planet, has a right to say, That land right there is mine. And of course, it's only right that his uh, emissaries, his ambassadors, and the embassies that they build that we call churches, local churches, of course, it's only right that the government should not be able to say, that that institution should pay rent back to the government because God's authority is higher than theirs. And so that's why I fight to keep churches from having property tax because once the churches start having to pay property tax, the very last spark of true ownership has gone out of the world. And what a time to be alive to know that that's how serious this is.
1: Yeah, and that we have an opportunity It's not just a crisis we have. It's an opportunity to be the light of the world and to demonstrate that. And I would say it goes far more than the the emissaries, uh, you know, the the property of the church. What are the extension of the people themselves? They're ambassadors. Ambassadors don't pray property on the on the on the places they go uh, to set up, whether it is uh, an embassy or whether it's a, a you know something. Yes. I forget what they call them, uh, but whether it's that, they don't pay it either. And what is what what is each home to be? Well, it's to be the ministers of the church. Ephesians four tells yes. us that we have certain gifts given to to men in order to equip the saints for what ministry. And and that's an extension of that. So it should be that way. This is why I – honestly, I got to looking into trusts because I'm going to leave all this behind anyway when I go. But but there there has to be something that we own in order for the command, you shall not steal, to apply. And I think that's exactly what you're saying. Government – I heard the story up in Michigan – Attorneys are getting together with governments. We had Michelle Young. She was um, very fluent lady. Uh, her husband worth billions. They 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 connived their way out of giving her and her two little girls any money. Now they've caught them red-handed. They've got all this stuff. They're going after them. Uh, the the lawyers and the judges <clears throat> are all in on it and and stealing the money from the people. And in Michigan, they're doing it. And I think pretty much on every corner they're trying to do like what you said. If if the guy's worked all his life, they're they're just gonna come after him just like they do this this woman in this video. And it's immoral, it's wrong, yeah. and here's the thing, yeah. Carrie. When people hear about it, they're just like, Oh, that's so sad. Mm-hmm. My thought is if I hear about it, if it's somebody around me, I want to go gather the men of my community armed to the teeth. And stand around that guy 's house and say you 're not going to take his house you 're not going to take his property, and we 're going right. to fight you over it, but we don 't hear that we don 't hear that mentality we don 't see it being done and i 'll tell you we, i don 't know if you saw what went on in Kazakhstan the other week, but when that guy came out and he said, "You shoot to kill you know enforcing all this tyranny and stuff on him, the people were out in twenty four hours that government was toppled. They were dealing with Goodbye. the agents of the state putting it on. And I don't know when American Christian men are going to stand up and say, you know what? Our forefathers didn't put up with this. The men of the Bible didn't put up with this. Right. And we're not going to put up with it. Maybe we've been asleep at the wheel a little bit here. We're not going put to put up with it because if we keep putting up with it, we're not going to have anything. And according yep. to Gloss Klaus, Klaus Schwab, we're supposed to be happy with that. Well, I'm not one who's going to be happy with that.
0: Well, Proverbs 13, 22 says, a good man leaves an He's inheritance, an inheritance. Yep. to his children's children's tr- children. I mean, implicit in that is that a man owns things and that he should be able to pass them to his children. So you think about the, the immoral, horrible, horrible wickedness of a government even having an inheritance tax. I mean, the Bible will be absolutely opposed to that. Absolutely. There's so many things that we do that are just, completely disconnected from reality. They're violations of math. I mean, our entire economy, it makes a mockery of the authority of math. There are laws of mathematics. We violate them every day as though there's not going to be a consequence. There, there is going to be a consequence. And I think in answer to your question, how long we have to wait before men stand up, I think it's going to take pain. I think that's all we've got left. I think we're a nation under judgment. I think pain is the only thing people respond to when we have enough pain that it forces people down on their knees to pray and to open up the Bible and start reading the pages they've been taking for granted for so long, then maybe by the grace and mercy of God through repentance, because we don't deserve it, but through a lot of repentance and the extraordinary mercy of God, maybe there's a way someday that we could turn this nation back around To the Lord and get rid of about 98% of the federal government that we don't need, and all these ridiculous taxes, and all this authority and power to destroy that we've given them, and let God be God, and let the government not be God. And then, honestly, more freedom, more liberty for everybody. And can you even imagine the wealth that would explode probably within 30 days if we just got rid of the progressive tax system? Oh,
1: yeah. Well, let, this gets on another issue, and boy, it, we would be here another hour if we got on this one. But, you know, our society is really built on debt now. We've been in solvent since 1933. Yeah. And so yeah. it, it, the, everybody thinks money is this green stuff that we got in it. No, that's a debt note. It's It's borrowed yeah. in debt, and you're using it to, quote-unquote, pay debt, and I don't know how you do that. You can't pay a debt with a debt. And so that's one of the things people have to get in their minds that what they're acquiring is debt. What does our constitution say is real money? Gold and silver—that's what real yeah. money is. And yeah. so you know there, there was an old thing that was said: uh, gold is, a, is the money of kings, silver is the money of gentlemen. I forget what the one was of paupers because I've lost that right now. And then debt is the money of slaves, and that's Thank what you. that's what we that's what we've been involved in. So. We shouldn't be surprised at all. This. When I had the interview with G. Edward Griffin, that was one of the questions I was asking him. I I said, "Well, what? He's got all these, you know, read all these Marxist-Leninists who have all this, and and we're going back to enemies within the church, kind of with this too. But, but he he says, you know, they've they've done all this for the cities. And I said, well, what about you know rednecks like me? You know, I'm out here in, in rural South Carolina. What about guys like you out in you know rural Iowa? Uh, oh, he says they got plans for you too, and the plan is to move you to the city by taxing you off your property, and this yeah. is what I'm saying, and and it seems to me, Carrie, what I hear from the church it, in the mainstream, if you will, what's what's out there in the modern church is, well, you got to pay your taxes, you you you, you th- you're dishonoring God and all this all this kind of stuff, and it's like there's no rebellion against tyrannical taxation. You just don't hear preaching about that stuff. And so people no. just say, well, it must be what I got to do the same way they twist Romans 13 to say you submit to any authority that's out there.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, Barna Research says it all. And, and if I'm off a percentage or two, forgive me. It's been a while since I read it, but I think I'm right when I say that they, they studied the United States for, it was like a 20 year study. It took them a long time to get their data together. But basically, here's the bottom line. Ninety-four percent of the citizens of the United States of America do not have a functional biblical worldview. What are we going to do? The churches aren't teaching.
1: you got to preach the true gospel, right? And that includes that. That includes that. Yes,
0: it does. Yes, it does. You need to preach the whole Bible. That's right. If if People have been in your church for 30 years, and they— they still don't know up from down, and they can't even define basic words like faith and grace. What in the Sam Hill are you doing on Sunday morning? People have got to learn something so that they make good decisions about how they do politics. I mean, we're—it's unbelievable—we're having to argue about sodomy in churches. We have to get back to the Bible.
1: Yep, yep. If you believe that this—if you believe it's authoritative—and there's many preachers right. who don't. And they're going to just go along with whatever. I remember we played, uh, I did a show, and we played Bradley from the Minnesota State House. They asked him to come up there. I think it was 2011. They said, would you come up and give the prayer? Well, he did. It was very simple. He made a couple of statements before about founding fathers and stuff like that. And then he he made a simple prayer. Shouldn't have been been offensive to anybody. He closed it within Jesus' name. And boy, within 10 minutes of him praying that... The the two thousand media outlets across the United States were this guy is a he's a he's a gay hater and he's a this that and the other and look at this stuff and then they called in another wimpy milk toast, syrupy panty waist pansy something chaplain that they have there to pray this prayer where he didn't acknowledge anybody he didn't acknowledge God he didn't acknowledge himself or anything. he was just saying flowery words to tickle their ears and then these wimps these these effeminate men on the Democrat side and on the Republican side sit there and blasted Bradley. We'll never have him back in here. Look how our Look how our chaplain did it. Yeah, he didn't stand for anything. He just you guys could just walk all over him. He's nothing. And the men of God you read in the Bible aren't like that. They stand up and they say no. they may they may even tremble. You remember Daniel before he was he was fearful of the king, but he still gave the word of God. And that's that's the kind of men we need. We, we need those in the church. We need those in our homes. Uh, we need those in our community. We need those in our civil government. And, uh, we, you know, we just, we're not seeing that many. So when, when I find a guy like you, when I find a guy like Matt Trujella, when I find somebody like Bradley uh, or somebody like that, I like having them on to speak about these issues because, as you said, we're to give the whole counsel of God, not just Jesus has died for your sins. But what does right. that translate in? Why did he do that? And Ephesians 2.10 says, so that we can conduct good works, which he marked us out from beforehand to do. Why? To glorify God. And how are we going to do that if we don't know how to do the good works?
0: Exactly. And much of evangelicalism has basically uh, taught people, they're misleading them, but they, they think that oh, if, I, if I repent of my sins and I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, jesus is going to become i don't know like a genie in a bottle and he's going to come make all my wildest dreams come true and he's going to fulfill all my desires and all my dreams but really what the bible teaches is when you make jesus lord and king of your life and you repent of your sins then you're here to make all of his dreams come true that's right you're here to fulfill all of his desires for this world and that's a completely different mentality and if you if you if you want to fulfill Jesus' desire for where you live and the time you're alive, then you got to dig into the Bible and find out, well, what does Jesus think? What does Jesus teach? I mean, in Luke 19, 12 through 27, Jesus was against capital gains tax. So if I'm here to make Jesus' desire come true, then I need to be against capital gains taxes. But you have to teach people these things or they don't know them.
1: Yeah. And that, that brings me to another one. And we'll try to close off on this so I don't wipe out your whole afternoon here. But one of the things you know that people will often go back to, you just talked about the gap, capital gains tax there. And I hear people saying, oh, Jesus did away with the death penalty. No, he didn't. He actually mentioned that if you're dishonoring your mother and father, they get what? Oh, yeah, that's right. They're to be put to death. But he does yeah. this, too. But you know exactly where people go. They go, well, wait a minute. There was the guy who came up to Jesus and he said, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And then Jesus uses that little thing. I was uh, saying, well, let me see that coin. Yeah, that's got Caesar's, uh, that's got his face on there. Um, render to Caesar what's Caesar's, render to God what's God's. And everybody goes, oh, well, see, there's what we're supposed to do. But whose image is Caesar made in? He's made God. in the image of God. And so he should not be tyrannical either. And I think that in between those lines, he's reiterating what came into the law, because he can't break the law. So he's teaching them something about the law in his in his riddle, if you will, that he's putting towards them. What do you say about that?
0: Well, first of all, it says Jesus looked and he saw the image. His who, Whose image is on this? And he's asking Jews. And, and what are the Jews taught? You're, you're not to have engraved images. Engraved images, that's right. You're not to do that. So he's pointing out this is immoral because this is a form of idolatry, this coinage. Is not biblical. This coinage is not just. God hates unjust weights and measures. Whose image is on this? Everyone's chuckling. The Jews are chuckling. Yeah, well, you're not supposed to have uh, an engraved image. Oh, that's Caesar's. Okay, so, but here's the thing that people leave out, and you have to understand who Jesus is and what he's saying. He says, You render unto Caesar the things that belong to Caesar. Implicit in the statement is that there are things that do not belong to Caesar. And uh, you render unto things to God that belong to God everything belongs to god and so i would say when jesus said give to caesar what belongs to him and give to god what belongs to him he would be saying you too caesar you give to god what belongs to god too amen amen right and and that's the that's the missing third component of this thinking it's not just saying well government gets to do whatever they want jesus was um he was being coy and he was pointing out that they had that a uh, they're already creating their goofy fiat system, which was wrong. They're violating God's immutable, permanent rules and laws. They should not have an engraved image, especially on their their you know the God the, their their God is money, and they were doing Caesar worship. They were doing emperor worship. It was already unfolding in their culture. There was all kinds of moral problems that Jesus was. Probably had a little sparkle in his eye when he said those comments, and the audience understood it. But we don't understand those things because we're not Jews. We're not living two thousand years ago. That's why you've got to dig down and find out what you're reading.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And, and just to make a, make the point, I don't have a dollar bill. I don't, usually don't even have cash sitting here with me at all. But you know, old Abe, the the tyrant um, who you know did what he did. Um, talk, he gave flowery words about holding the Constitution together and the country together and blah, 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 and then he went and he violated, violated every bit of it. Yeah,
0: he was a, hi- he he was a hypocrite. He violated the Constitution so he could save it. That's, that's what he said.
1: That's right. So so when we turn it over, it says, in God we trust, right? And, and, right? and people think, they think in their mind, that means Jehovah God and his son, the Lord Jesus. But that's not what it is. You just hit on it. This right here... Has God. has be has become God here in America. There's no question about that. And that money,
0: God, we trust. Yes, yeah,
1: that's right, that's right.
0: Uh, any final words, and then we'll close out the show. Just to get a worldview, get a biblical worldview. Go get resources. We've got them at enemieswithinthechurch.com. dot com. You can go there and you can do the after the movie stuff. Um, I'm looking at your screen. I can't remember the button that they click. I think it's how to save America. If you click that button at the top, it'll pop down, and you'll see these resources here that are free, that are good Bible teachings. And um, step three, I think, is how to get a biblical worldview. We've recommended two different resources that I think are exceptionally good. Small groups, individuals, whole churches can learn about biblical economics, what God thinks about uh, how you should do taxation, Um, what's the role of the state, what's the role of the church, how should you vote. All of these things are right there in the Bible, and these are wonderful resources that would help you become kind of a rare and dying species since, according to Barna, only, you know, like six or seven percent of the whole country understand how to apply the Bible to living in America. Well, that's something that every church needs to address. Every congregation needs to be taught these things in every sphere, whether it's entertainment or education or politics or law we need Christian attorneys. We need Christians in media. Good grief, the media. They're like, paid liars. We need honest people in media. Uh, Let the church arise and send forth people into the media that will honor God with their writing skills and tell the truth and be a blessing instead of a curse. And so biblical worldview is necessary. Otherwise, you're just another heathen that lives like an atheist, uh, a practical atheist, even though you go to church on Sunday and you cry about how thankful you are about the cross. If you don't know anything about the Bible and how to apply it to your life, you're just going to be another humanist. So please use the resources at our website and be blessed.
1: Amen. Amen. Thank you, Kerry. We appreciate you. I'll say goodbye to you off air. Guys, don't forget, Bradley's on at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, com, And we'll be back in the morning, 6 a.m., Lord willing. We'll talk to you then. See you.